good evening. We're thankful again that you are here this evening. If you have your Bible with you, you can be turning to the book of Job. The book of Job, and we'll begin there in just a few moments. We're thankful for the crowd that's assembled here tonight and the chance to encourage ourselves with another good study. I, in particular, have been encouraged myself by the study. I want to say, try to say it fairly often, but appreciate your kind words, many of you, about the lessons and the lesson this morning. Certainly appreciate the prayers, such as uh, our brother Joe just prayed and the encouragement. Uh, several this morning said they appreciated that lesson about that particular parable, and, and I mentioned as well that this is... Uh, Studying the parables that I have and putting together that lesson has been encouraging for me. Sometimes you take assignments or lessons that are uh, easy, that you think, oh, I can, I can do that, I know that, I've, I've taught that before. Other times you take some that are challenging, and oftentimes those are the ones that are, are better for you because you push yourself and maybe you learn something that you've not thought of before, and so I appreciate that. And even studying the book of Job over the last few days and thinking about this particular lesson, I hope that we can glean several things tonight. It's one of the most well-known stories, uh, certainly in the Bible, but maybe we can think about it tonight and, and find something to apply. You know, I was thinking it's my first Sunday night lesson in a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, if you recall, we had the brother who was here speaking about the, the mission work in India, and then last Sunday night, of course, we didn't meet after our vacation Bible school, and so it took me a few days this week to remember, oh yeah, I, I got I to speak again on, on Sunday night and get, get a lesson and think about some of these that we've done each month, but it also reminded me that I just wanted to say again publicly on behalf of, of Hannah and I uh, that we're thankful for all those who helped with vacation Bible school. Uh, it's by no means something that, that's just our show, but uh, we try to help head it up, but we know the, the group effort it takes. Uh, we're especially thankful this past week is due to some who were sick and various things that had gone on. We kind of had to get a little more involved than we usually would, but it helped that we didn't have a worry in the world about what else was going on. I mean, we stepped in and needed to teach in a couple different areas, and, and of course, we all know Gary's got it under control, and he's in charge of the bells and the schedule. So, But it's just very nice to know that everybody knows what they need to do. They're willing to do it. Uh, in several things that just kind of happened because everybody's so helpful and we appreciate that. We got several notes of encouragement from uh, those who visited with us. We know Dunlap had bought, brought their bus and, and the far kids, David had brought their kids and they had all sent messages back just thanking everyone for their work and so we're thankful especially to you for what you do to make something like that possible. Tonight we're going to talk about the book of Job for just a few moments and it's interesting that it is a book that every person can relate to at least in some small measure. I don't want to, to, to repeat myself over and over again, but we may say several times tonight that, that all of us have suffered to some degree, and there's a really good chance that all of us will suffer again. And that's not counting the fact that some of you, some of us, are, are suffering now in various ways. Certainly physically, with folks that we know and love, but even mentally or spiritually in different ways. And so it's a book that every person can relate to. I've said this before, but I've kind of borrowed this idea and even some of the points each month from my brother and good friend Chad, our brother and good friend Chad Dollahite down in the Bremen, Georgia area. And I was thankful to him because he had brought out several points that I want to share with you tonight. And it was just a, a good series of lessons for us to go through. I started, as we think about the book of Job, I started doing this at Lake Hills just a couple of years before we came to work with you all here. And I actually started at Lake Hills with the book of Job. We're going to talk in just a few moments about the date, but when you think about the book of Job and its position in the Bible, its actual physical place a little further back in your Bible, that's not where we commonly think it falls. And so I actually started the Book of the Month Club at Lake Hills with the book of Job. 
But we want to look at it tonight as we have just kind of gone through the books of the Bible in order as we find them in our English Bible. The book of Job, of course, is the first of five, and that's kind of supposed to be first there, but the first of five books of Old Testament poetry. And we come to this section of Scripture as we left off last month with Esther, and Esther kind of being the last of that, that historical section, we move to the books of poetry, and they all have a theme, if you think about it, if you've studied them. Psalms sort of has the theme of praise or prayer, prayer or praise or even worship. Proverbs, we might say the theme of Proverbs is conduct, our conduct. Ecclesiastes has to do with the meaning of life. The Song of Solomon with love. And then when we think about Job, we're going to come back to this a little bit later, but we think about the fact that Job is commonly associated with suffering. Now when we go a little further into some of the details of the book, we go and think about the date. The date, of course, as we say about many things, is simply unknown. We are not sure. We can kind of maybe take some ideas and, and think about some things in general, but it's unknown an exact year of certainly when it was, was written. It seems to be happening in the patriarchal dispensation or the patriarchal age. If you think about it, there's no mention of the law of Moses. And, of course, a lot of things that were written after that mention the law of Moses. There's no mention of the te uh, temple or tabernacle. There's no mention of the deliverance from Egypt. And so it seems like maybe because none of those things have been mentioned that they've not happened yet. So we back up before the book of Exodus and we, the law of Moses and we think about it happening during the patriarchal dispensation. There is, in fact, patriarchal worship that is going on. If you have your Bible there in Job chapter 1 and verse number 5, we see that it says, So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would sin and send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And if you back up to verse 4, that's talking about his children there. And so there is this idea of a father, a patriarch, offering a sacrifice on behalf of the children. So maybe it seems to be the patriarchal age. Some folks would surmise that Job was possibly a contemporary of Abraham. So again, I don't know if there's anything that we can say that we just put our finger on and say that's exactly it. Many people, and while we, let me back up, while we say there's no evidence of that or biblical evidence, I mean, it's possible that they knew each other. That might be uh, the, the time in which Job lived. Many people think that, he, that the book of Job occurred right after the flood or possibly near right after the flood. If you know the book of Job, you probably know Job chapter 40, beginning in verse 12, and going through Job chapter 41, where there are the mentions of the behemoth and the leviathan. And these creatures, these dinosaur-like creatures existed, but of course they did go extinct, which might have happened right after the flood. So many people sort of put Job there, and it's possible. It is absolutely possible that Job could be the earliest book of the Bible. Now, again, we don't want to be dogmatic and say we know this for sure, but that is why I began with it at Lake Hills in that particular study because there's a good chance that it fits into that section more so than where we find it grouped together uh, with the other poetry books. When we think about an author, or in particular, let me say a human author, we might say that it's unknown as well. Uh, many, uh, the Jewish Talmud actually attributes it to Moses. Could be, could not be. 
Uh, if he did, if Moses had to translate it, wouldn't you think that Moses would have been real thankful for inspiration at that point? Because he wouldn't have been there to, to witness that. He wouldn't have been able to recount what happened, and he certainly would have needed divine inspiration. What we do know certainly is that God preserved it for our learning. We think about Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4, the encouragement in the New Testament that those things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. So whether we do or don't know the date exactly or whether or not he was a contemporary of Abraham or whether or not Moses actually penned these words, we do know that God preserved it for our learning and we can be thankful for that this evening. Let's talk about a very overview, very large outline. As you know, as we have looked at these books now over the course of several years together, sometimes it's very easy to come up with an outline, sometimes it's very difficult. We might say that chapters 1 and 2 deal with the background of Job's suffering. And chapters 1 and 2 are no doubt the most familiar part of the story of Job. You recall that Satan appears before God. And many people have a question there. Well, wait a minute. Why did Satan appear before God? Why is he here at this time? And the answer, of course, is, once again, we don't understand. We don't exactly know why he was there. But in verse number 7, we begin to notice that that Satan seems to be bored, for lack of a better term, to try to put it in our understanding. Satan seems to come kind of kicking the can down the road and telling God, I'm bored. I've got everybody. It's not a challenge for me anymore. I've got the whole world sinning and doing sinful things. And so in verse 8, then God comes back and says, well, have you considered my servant Job? And they begin this discourse where essentially Satan says, well, of course Job I mean, you bribed him. You, you paid him to serve you. So, I mean, why would I worry about Job? So God says, okay, if that's what you think, if you tend to think that I have paid him or bribed him, I'll permit you to take away all that he has, and he will still serve me because it's the right thing to do. And so we know through chapter 1 there that Job loses everything. I, I mean, you know, we sometimes talk about Oh, exaggerating, making it seem like a bigger deal. Well, well, almost everything. Job literally loses everything. And so here comes Satan again. He's kind of kicking the can down the road again. He says, you know, I'm bored. I've got it all figured out. I've got everybody doing what they want to do and not following after you. And so here I am. God says again, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan kind of says, you know, well... God says, well, you've taken away all that he has, but he is still faithful. And so over in chapter 2, then, as this occurs again, Satan says, well, skin for skin, you didn't let me touch him. Let me touch him, and you'll see. You'll see that he won't be faithful to you anymore. And so we see in chapters 1 and 2 that there is a showdown here. Now, it's not a showdown between Job and Satan, but it's really a showdown between Satan and God. God is saying, see all these people that I have made and these people that I have given free will and they will still serve me because it is the right thing to do. And Satan says, and I'll let you judge. You, you, can, you can think to yourself. We want to ask for, for a show of hands. But, but Satan seems to say, you're crazy. They won't. In the good times, yeah, they'll serve you. But let, let me take away everything they have. Let me give them some bad times, and we'll see what happens. And as you look around at your life and certainly the life of others, then you see that sometimes that's the way people are. That is certainly true. 
There is a showdown here. It's not between Job and Satan, but between Satan and God, and someone gets caught in the middle of it, and that is Job. So we see the background of Job's suffering, but we see secondly, and this is going to be most of the book in a very large section here, but a discussion of Job's suffering. That is correct on the screen, beginning in chapter 3 in verse 1 and going through chapter 42, it is easy to get lost here. It's easy to get confused. You know, we often joke, we've asked you to read uh, portions of the Bible this year and sign your name on the banner out there. And we, we sometimes talk about how when you get to parts of Exodus, our kids know this from, from Bible Bowl a few years ago, when you get to Leviticus and some of these things, it's really hard. But have you ever tried to read the, the back half of the book of Job? Because it's really difficult. It's easy to get confused. There are rounds of speeches that are happening. And I would even encourage you, I heard someone say one time, that they either go through and mark in their Bible or sometimes will have almost like a note card, a sheet of paper, reminding themselves who is doing the speaking. Because it's easy to say, oh, well, Job said this to God, when in reality it's one of Job's friends saying it to Job. You've got to be very careful when you use certain verses out of the book of Job that you're not mis misquoting, misspeaking, or, or using something out of context. But there are several rounds of speeches. Chapter 3. There's Job's misery or complaint. He curses the day that he is born. Chapter 3 and verse number 1. Then we go through chapters 4 through 14, and this is the first cycle of speeches. Chapters 4 through 14, we see that Elphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, Job's friends, each give a speech. And let me, if you have your Bible there, notice in chapter 4, You'll see the name. Don't, you don't have to get too confused, but you'll see the name. Chapter 4, verse 1, then Ilphaz answered and said. Notice chapter 5, there's no other name. So it would seem that Ilphaz is still talking here. And then you go over to chapter 6, and Job begins to answer. So what it is, is all three friends give a round of speech, or a couple of some speeches, and each time they are answered by Job. And you need to look at those verses to help you see who is speaking. Chapters 15 through 21, all three friends, again, give speeches, and Job is answering there. Chapter 22, chapters 22 through 31, there is a third cycle of speeches. This time, Ilphaz and Bildad give speeches, but Zophar doesn't give a third speech. Then we move on to chapter 32, and in chapter 32, we see that someone else comes onto the scene, that is Elihu, who gives a transition speech, if you will. Now, it's interesting. Some people believe that the way this is laid out, that it's almost like these are planned speeches, like a debate. We had, uh, I think, a uh, few of our young men here that were going to try to participate in debate a year or so ago at Lads to Leaders before uh, that was canceled in, in 2020. Uh, but some people say it's like a debate, and they're kind of going back and forth. Maybe, maybe not. It's not necessarily important to it uh, to the understanding of the book either but that might be possible then we move to chapters 38 through 42 in verse number six and we see that great transition where God begins to speak to Job and if you've ever read this with some humility it will cause you to be humble it might cause you to shake in your boots a little bit, as we might say, because God is posing questions to Job, and Job cannot answer. Look over in chapter 40 in verse number 5. Job responds to God and says, Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, 
but I will proceed no further. After that point, God continues to challenge Job and to question him. And at the very end of this particular section, chapter 42, Job acknowledges his imperfection. He repents and wants to be restored in the beginning of chapter 42, which is the last chapter. And then one more section here for your major outline, and that is at the end of the book, chapter 42, broken down to the last few verses, is the outcome. We see the background, we see the discussion, and now we see the outcome. In chapter 42, verses 7 through 17, Job is vindicated. God rebukes the friends and instructs them to have Job offer a sacrifice on their behalf. And Job is rewarded, more so than before his suffering even began. We like the way it ends up, but what I would challenge you to think about in the next few moments as we make some application, and even if you have read this or want to read it again in the coming month with these things in mind, I challenge you to think about those discussions. They're a little hard to get through, Maybe you need to be sure you know who is speaking, but it can be encouraging as we think about some of these themes and some of these lessons. So let's talk about a few of those for the rest of the lesson this evening. Number one, a few themes here. I have some that are in your notes, but there will be others that you can write down if you'd like to make notes. Number one, suffering does not equal sinfulness. This, of course, is the big message. We see it played out even in the New Testament. We see people asking these kind of questions. I don't know if you have ever had this question today or in your life. Some people would still associate suffering with sinfulness. You've got problems on your hand. Boy, you must have done something really wrong. You must have really angered God. But we see in Job that suffering does not equal sinfulness. And I think this is the big message. We also see in connection with that that prosperity does not equal righteousness. Prosperity does not equal righteousness. You know, it's just a fact. Sometimes wicked people prosper. We don't like it. It's really frustrating. If we're being really honest, it's really frustrating to see people who we know are turning their back on God. And I would even take it a step further. I don't know if you ever recognize this like I do sometimes, but it's even more frustrating when some of these people who you know are not living their life in accordance with the will of God, stand before a crowd and thank God or say something like that to God because you know that they are openly living opposite of his word. But it is true that sometimes wicked people prosper. And it's also true that sometimes righteous people suffer. Again, that's kind of frustrating to us. But that is absolutely the truth. And both of those things combined together also mean that this does not, or does not mean that God does not care. Several times as you read Job answering his friends and speaking, Job seems to be saying, does God not care? Does God not see me? Doesn't he see what I am going through? And I would challenge you if you have not said that before, as many of us have. Does God not see me and how bad I have things sometimes? Job seems to be saying that, but we realize that just because you are suffering doesn't mean that God is just not paying attention somewhere. He's kicked back in the corner, and he's just not paying attention so that he must not see me. That's not what our suffering means. You see, we equate that if God cared, 
he would take whatever it is away immediately. That's, that's the way people feel sometimes. If God cared, then he would take it away immediately. But sometimes our friends say, God didn't take that away, therefore you must not be living right. You must have done something really wrong. You better get right and repent. Or even worse, some other people might say, well, then there must not be a God. If you're suffering, there must not be a God. And that's hard to understand when we are suffering. But we can look at the book of Job and recognize that, yes, we will suffer. And, yes, some righteous or some prosperous people will have some good things. Some wicked people will be prosperous, excuse me. But we also realize that this does not mean that God does not care. One other thing that we see here, or a couple others, we see that God is who he is. Think about that for just a minute. God is who he is. When things are going great, God is who he is. When things are going not so great, God is who he is. God does not change in his nature. And we can really be thankful for that, but it reminds us that even when we suffer, God is who he is. And we can also recognize, as a theme from Job, that Job persevered, and so can we. You know, some people say that, that it's not real, that the, the book of Job is not real. Go back to where we've been talking about the parables. And some people will call the, the story or the account of Job an allegory. Well, we've got some problems there because... Job is mentioned in the book of Ezekiel with Daniel and Noah. So if you think that Job's not real, you got a problem with Noah and Daniel as well. Not only that, but James mentions Job by name. So it is real. It is not just an allegory. And the message, of course, is timeless. As we said at the beginning of our lesson, all people will suffer. And we will suffer probably at some point in the future. Recognizing that, we recognize that Job can persevere, and he, or he did persevere, and so we also can, even as hard as it seems sometimes. Let's take a look at a few lessons then, and then this lesson will be yours. Number one, we think about the patience of Job. Now, I put patience in quotation marks there because this is usually something that we lob out at people, right? It's meant to be a compliment, but we say that person has the patience of Job. Well, that's a biblical thing in a sense. We said James a moment ago. It's James chapter 5 and verse number 11. James says, you have heard of the patience of Job. But let's go back a few minutes ago to where we talked about Job's speeches and how Job questioned God. If we think about it, Job wasn't all that patient many times. He got really frustrated with God. In fact, one of the questions that sometimes comes up is, did Job sin in the things that he said? And it's hard to say. You might say, you might find somebody that says one side or the other. If he didn't sin, it seems likely that he got really, really close to that line, tiptoeing right on it, if he didn't, because he questioned God. He, he got almost right in God's face, we might say, and said, hey, give me some answers here. You owe me. And so the patience of Job is kind of interesting because he wasn't very patient sometimes. And it's kind of like Thomas. You know, people say Thomas gets a bad rap in the New Testament for being doubting when he just really wanted proof. Well, maybe, maybe Job is that way. He spent part of the book, we might say, ranting and raving. I, I thought about this as I was thinking about this lesson. It's almost like a, a family member or, or maybe a father 
Think about an expectant father in the waiting room. The mother's in the back. The mother's, you know, giving birth or getting ready to give birth. And there's questions and there are problems. And there, there's a father in the lobby who is very upset. And the nurse comes back and says, I can't keep him at bay much longer until you give him some answers. That's kind of the way Job is through a lot of this. He's ranting and raving at God. It's not patience, though, like we think. When we think about the patience that Job showed, it's, we might say it's a refusal to give up. It's endurance, to go through all those things and yet to still be faithful to God. There are a couple of texts that we might offer. I already mentioned James chapter 5 there. Job 13 and verse 15 is the first one. Saul or heard someone refer to these one time as the golden text of Job. You know, we sometimes talk about the golden text of the Bible, but the golden text of Job. Job 13 and verse 15, notice that when we think about Job enduring or not giving up, Job 13, verse 15, he says, though he, will, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. And in Job 23, in verse number 10, Job says, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The golden text of Job here, where Job has this moment of patience, of endurance and say even though he slay me yet I will trust in him we struggle with that sometimes when we're suffering but we can see in the book of Job the patience of Job the endurance of Job when we're going through those tough times number two we might say that we recognize the suffering one of the lessons that we take from the book of Job of course is the suffering that we face in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, the Hebrew writer speaks of Jesus' suffering. We want life to be easy sometimes. We want to be able to say that, that suffering is a problem and that must be a problem with God. But even Jesus suffered. The Hebrew writer would say, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he, what does it say? Suffered. And having been perfected he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him how did jesus become perfect or complete how do we become perfect or complete through suffering it's not fun it's painful it hurts but that's how we become perfect or complete or even as we talked about a few weeks ago mature how we how do we become mature through our suffering we could go crazy we, we could spend every day of our lives, as we might say, going crazy, wondering why. Asking God why. Why this? Why that? Why did that happen? Why are these things happening in my life? But when I understand God and his nature, I place myself in his hands. And when I do that, there is a level of maturity. There is a level of patience or endurance there. And look, I stand before you tonight to say that is without a doubt easier said than done as someone who tells you whether it's something physically or the doctor tells you how to how to lose weight or, or, or even a, a therapist or someone tells you this is what you need to do to to try to help you in your own life and tells you and you say well that's really easy for you to say yeah it's easy to say and it's harder to do but job is an example that we can that we can do it in first peter chapter 2 verses 21 through 23 again back to the example of christ 
Peter would say, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered. He suffered for us. If Jesus did it, kind of like the example we gave this morning, if Jesus did it, if Paul did it, I, I think that we can realize that it may be something we have to face as well. God will do what is right. Even the reference we made to him being the righteous and the perfect judge from Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25 this morning. All right. The devil is relentless. Moving through a few other points here. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, we know that he is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, as Jesus speaks to Peter, he says, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to sift us, and we should not be ignorant of his devices. We recognize that he is relentless. Most of us, most of you, are faithful, we're faithful members here. Most of you recognize that you're doing your best to be faithful. And then yet you think maybe that Satan will leave you alone, that it won't be a problem. Maybe things will be all right. But we recognize that we still face a, an enemy who is relentless in his pursuit for people, for us, for souls. And we see that even here as he continues to come back and go after Job, and he will with us as well. And then one more lesson here tonight before we make one more point. We realize that human philosophy falls short very often. I don't know if you know this, especially in 2020 and 2021, but there are a lot of experts in the world today, both those who maybe have studied and, and have degrees and, and those who haven't. But there are a lot of experts who think they've got it all figured out, but human philosophy falls short. This is one of those questions when you look at the book of Job and say, friends? <laughs> who needs friends like that? You remember in Job chapter 12 and verse 2, Job says, No doubt you are the people and wisdom dies with you. This, we might say this is biblical sarcasm here. Job kind of says, It must be nice to be so wise when you're gone. Wisdom must just die up. It's going to go with you because you guys seem to have it all figured out. Job chapter 16 and verse 2, Miserable comforters are ye all. Friends, who needs you guys to try to help me through this? We're, here, we're supposed to be here for one another. There's no doubt that all the passages we could point to in the New Testament recognize that we as Christians lean upon one another, but we all lean upon one another as we stand upon the Word of God. Human philosophy is always going to fall short. One more point tonight here, and the lesson will be yours as we think about Job and Jesus. Now, one thing we've said through all of these Old Testament lessons is in almost every single book, you see a pointing towards the Messiah who is coming. And we see that as well in the book of Job. Number one, we see a mediator. Job wanted a mediator. In Job chapter 9 and verse number 33, <clears throat> Job 9 and verse 33, Job says, Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Job wanted a go-between. And we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, For there is one God... And one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that we may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, we have what Job longed for. He's questioning God saying, I want a mediator. 
I think even maybe the American Standard, I don't know if any of you would have that, but I think maybe even the ASV uses the word umpire, a mediator, an advocate. He longed for this. He knew that he counted, that he could not approach God as a human. He knew this to be the case. He knew he couldn't approach God. So how do you approach God? How do we approach God? We need a mediator, and we have one in Christ Jesus. We recognize as well, thinking about this idea of Jesus and the coming Messiah, the idea of resurrection. In Job chapter 14, in verse number 14, Job asked the question, If a man dies, shall he live again? And Jesus, in John chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. You follow Jesus? He said, I will raise you up in the last day. We can live forever through Jesus Christ. Job cried out and asked about the resurrection, and we see that Jesus says, I am the resurrection. In Job chapter 19, in verse number 25, we see as well the idea of a redeemer. Job 19 in verse 25. Did you think about the words we just sang a few moments ago as Charles selected these songs? We sang the song. It's exactly what Job said. Job 19 and verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on earth. Jesus redeemed those who are lost. And then one more that I didn't include in your notes, but we see the idea of access to God. We kind of talked about this just a moment ago. But in Job chapter 23 and verse number 3, Job 23 and verse 3, Job asked the question. He says, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. And of course, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. How do we have access? How is it that we can access the throne of grace? But by Jesus Christ. That's the lesson. That's the, the application of seeing Jesus, even in the book of Job, pointing towards a mediator, a redeemer, having access to God, and of course, the resurrection. We're thankful for the lessons from Job. I know that this is a story you've heard and you've talked about patience before, but maybe tonight, you will take this and think about it a little deeper. I, I don't know. I've not been able to line these up with your Bible reading. Many of you have already been reading through the Bible. You may have already covered Job. I, I heard as I was kind of listening through my brother Chad's lesson to think about some points, he said that a couple of times he had done these at the end of the month, and folks had said, well, you know, by the end of the month, we're done. We're ready to move on to something else, so can you do them at the beginning of the month so then we can read through with what we talked about? Well, maybe you've already read through Job for this year, but maybe you can take a look at it again. And be encouraged by this. If you have time or if you're bouncing around maybe a little bit in your Bible reading, you can read this and think about some of the things that we talked about tonight. As we conclude this lesson, we ask for you to consider heaven's invitation, the Lord's invitation. We do have a mediator. We do have an advocate. We have a redeemer. And we're about to sing this song that has been selected that through its words we might encourage you if you need to make a change in your life. Maybe, just maybe, it has to do with suffering. As we talked about with Job tonight, maybe it doesn't. We're thankful, thankful for this opportunity. Sometimes we get locked into the idea, well, if the lesson is about this, then I certainly can't respond to a lesson about that or, or something of that nature. But certainly tonight, if you have a problem, if you have something that is amiss in your life, in particular sin that is keeping you from a right relationship with God, we'll be singing to encourage you. Maybe you need to become a Christian. Maybe you need to come back to him. But today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to make it right.
even now as we stand together and as we sing.